Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Hello and welcome to this week's Alabama AgCast. I'm your host, Mike Moody. On today's AgCast, which we've entitled the Ag Law and You episode, we've got two fine legal minds here from the Federation. One is John Allen Nichols, who is our Federation Agriculture Council. John Allen, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Mike. Thanks for having me. John Allen, I believe you have a disclaimer for us. I always do, Mike. Uh, so I would just like to remind everybody that the material uh, presented in this podcast is for educational use only. Um, the content does not constitute legal advice. Um, if readers require specific advice or services, uh, they should consult a lawyer or another professional. So glad to have you here. And the other great young legal mind is Caleb Curry. Caleb is an intern with the Federation Hey, Caleb, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Mike? Uh, great. Caleb, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'd be glad to. Um, for those of you listening, my name is Caleb Curry. Uh, I come from a small rural community in north central Florida, uh, Dixie County. It's about an hour west of Gainesville on the Gulf where Florida makes the bend. I uh, did my undergraduate at American Military University while I was in the United States Marine Corps serving as an infantryman, uh, mortarman specifically. I have a wife and son who just turned a year old back in April. I currently attend the Jones School of Law here in Montgomery. Uh, that's why I'm able to do the pathway John Allen mentioned. come from a small family farm. I grew up in agriculture. Uh, did you know, was in FFA all through middle school, was in 4-H preceding that. Showed hogs every chance I got. Um, I competed in various judging competitions from livestock to equine, uh, speaking competitions, parliamentary procedure. I even did a tractor driving contest one year at the wow. district level. Um, <laughs> well, what what y'all raise on your farm? Uh, so it was a small family farm with like, like I mentioned, um, and maybe like 20 to 30 acres of grassland and like in between 10 and 15 head of cows at the most. Mm-hmm. Um, five to 10 acres of row crops, so mainly corn and peas and butter beans. Um, you know, some watermelons on the side just for personal consumption. Uh, we were far from a money-making or for-profit operation, you know, we're not even incorporated. But uh, I really enjoyed agriculture as a child. Um, I took a brief departure, uh, you know, to uh, serve this great country. Um, and then when I coming back into it, I knew I wanted to go into the area of law so I could stay local in this community where my family has, you know, roots going back seven generations. Um, and that's when I was turned on to the Ag Law Pathway. And so it was a great chance to merge, you know, a passion for my early life with my current career choice. Yeah, actually, I was going to follow up with a question of, is this a new interest for you that you hadn't really thought about when you started law school? Uh, so that's right. When I started law school, I had didn't give a second thought to the role law or lawyers played in agriculture. Um, it wasn't until Faulkner started advertising this ag law pathway that I really began to think about it and chew on the idea of and realize the need for lawyers in agriculture. You know, as I mentioned, I come from an agricultural community, mm-hmm. but I can't name you one agricultural lawyer where I'm at. Um, now, I'm sure some of these larger farms and timber operations, they have in-house legal counsel that might not be based at the community level, but there's an opportunity and a need there nonetheless, not just for large farms, but also what I'm learning here at Alpha, you know, there's a great need for smaller farmers for things like estate planning, you know, or people, you know, lower income families faced with issues of heirs property, which is a generational thing where people end up owning a one fourth of an interest in a 40 acre lot. And now you trying to clear that title, most folks don't have the funds in order to do so. So I'm learning these issues where I can, you know, work for small farmers rather than just 
a large farmer that might need in-house counsel. Well, I mean, we certainly wish you the best because we, uh, yeah, we recognize how important uh, legal advice is. I mean, there's all the all the the lawyer jokes and this kind of thing, but what it, when it comes down to it, if you don't have good legal advice, you could really be taken advantage of. A small farm operation, uh, there's so many regulations and people just don't know where to turn. So I applaud you for looking into that and and at least you know pursuing the the idea of uh, ag law in, in its concept. So uh, Caleb is our ag law pathway uh, intern. So a couple of years ago, we started this partnership with uh, Faulkner's uh, Jones School of Law, um, the National Agricultural Law Center based out of Arkansas, and uh, the Alabama Department of Ag and Industries. And so this pathway we have set up um, for a law student at Jones, um, they get an internship with us, which is a paid internship. They get a paid research fellowship with the National Agricultural Law Center, and they also get an externship with the Department of Ag and Industries, which satisfies a requirement to graduate uh, the law school. So you have to complete some kind of externship there. Um, so it's a it's kind of a guaranteed um, internship experience package where we are exposing law students uh, to agriculture and kind of the greater realm of agricultural law. Um, we're really excited to have Caleb here. Um, he'll he'll be researching with the National Ag Law Center in the fall during class, um, but we're excited. He's been fantastic. I'm glad to have him here. Awesome. And I hope you're learning a lot and teaching a lot around here. I am. Um, it's been a great opportunity. Uh, I want to thank the Alabama Farmers Federation, the National Agricultural Law Center, and the Alabama Department of Ag and Industries, and also Don Allen. Um, it's been great to work with and learn under him. Um, it's definitely been a trial by fire and a crash course in a very complex and wide field of law, but I've enjoyed it, and I look forward to learning more as I go. That's awesome. Yeah, we, we need we need good lawyers out there representing the interests of, of agriculture and uh, farmers because there's, there's so much that uh, pits against them uh, in today's society. It's never a dull day on the farm, especially when your day starts before the sun comes up. We're Alabama Ag Credit, and while some don't get it, we do. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, we've helped farmers finance everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes your natural resources need financial resources. Today we're going to talk about livestock liability. And uh, Caleb, I'm going to turn it to you. What exactly are we talking about? So uh, livestock owners can be faced with liability um, from two different sides. They can be faced with civil liability and criminal liability. And there are sections in Alabama code that provide for both. Civilly, um, Alabama code 353, section 353, uh, holds the owner liable for damage to any crops, shade, fruit trees, and the like. Um, however, they are not liable for accidents on the highway unless it can be shown that they have knowingly or willfully put livestock on the highway. Knowingly is kind of a legal term of art there. Uh, the Alabama Supreme Court has described knowingly as it is a knowledge and consciousness that the injury is likely to occur or because of some action or lack of action. Uh, so we're, what, we're, what we're really talking about is when your cows get out, when, when they get out of the fence, when they potentially damage uh, neighbors' uh, crops or neighbors' uh, structures or something like that, or worse case is when they get on the street uh, on some county road and are potentially uh, struck by cars or and causing injury as a result of that. So you're saying that farmers can be uh, held liable for letting them out or knowingly doing that, but uh, wh where does this where does this concept come from legally? Uh, so, like I said, we have the statute. Um, the concept was further expounded on by a Supreme Court case, Brewer v. Atkinson, 
um, and that really addressed the knowing element of whether or not the farmer has actually put their cows on the road that establishes that liability the statute talks about in accidents. Mm-hmm. Or rather, the, the court case goes on to clarify the statutory language for everyday purposes. Well, uh, John Allen, um, what would you have to add to this as far as precedence or, sure. or anything like that? So there's, there's some history there. So obviously, um, stock laws have come a long way in um, the state of Alabama and, and really across the country. And so initially, stock laws were... Um, started out, most states and most counties were what were called fence-out states. So if you did not want livestock on your property potentially causing damage, you, the landowner, had the obligation to fence the stock off. Stock was authorized to wander off of property onto somebody else's property, and it wasn't considered an intrusion or a trespass. Um, However, in the 50s, Alabama, uh, our our livestock code underwent some changes, and we really kind of reversed, and we we moved and shifted over to what's known as a fence-in state. So it shifted the liability or the obligation uh, to the owners of the livestock to fence their livestock in, whether on their own property or property that they have leased or property where the, the, the livestock itself has a legal right to be. So landowners now have an expectation that their land should be protected from wandering livestock. Um, And so that's why we have code sections like 353 that provide specifically for um, landowners to um, collect against livestock owners. So that's why we have Alabama Code Section 353 that allows for um, people who've had property damaged by wandering livestock to collect against those livestock owners. Um, And it's specific statutory authority that they have to collect those damages. Um, But again, it is slightly nuanced there um, because despite being able to collect against a livestock owner for damage they may cause on property, um, Alabama's law does provide that specific protection um, in the case of an accident on a road where a, a a piece of livestock may have been involved in a car crash. And obviously that's a a tragic situation any way you spin it. But farmers are blessed to have that protection um, specifically. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty high threshold to to establish that they are culpable in the criminal side of it, uh, that a lot has to be proven that their intent was to, uh, and and I'm I'm, I'm having trouble coming up even with a scenario that that makes sense, but that they would knowingly and on purpose loose their cattle uh, outside of the fence, and, and I think it actually said in in the article, place them mm-hmm. on the road. So let's examine the difference between the civil context of liability and the criminal context of culpability. Caleb? To put it simply, you are culpable for crimes you have committed, whereas you are liable for actions or injuries you have caused. So whereas I might have liability in a car accident, um, from a striking of a from a striking, I might have civil liability. Well, if I have, you know, if I'm driving drunk, now I am culpable in drunk driving, mm-hmm. um, and that's where the Alabama Code uh, Section three five two addresses the culpability requirements. Um, and specifically, Section three five two states it will be unlawful for any owner of livestock to either knowingly, voluntarily, negligently, or willfully permit their livestock to run at large on the lands of another or public property in the state of Alabama. And they shall be fined no more than $50 or sentenced to six months hard labor. So the the state statute has that um, what we call mens rea language or mindset language, and that's the willful, knowing, negligently, uh, that kind of language. That's that's the required mindset that that a court has to determine or a jury has to determine that a person was in um, to assign uh, culpability to that person municipalities are also free to enact and and need to be able to enact ordinances within their city limits to regulate livestock, especially, you know, you've got 
urban places, you've got um, concentrated areas, a lot of people living um, closer together in urban areas. And so they need to be able to regulate activities that are going on in there. They need to be able to limit and potentially completely outlaw um, the presence of livestock in those areas. Um, However, a a recent change to Alabama's uh, stock law does limit the municipality's ability to enact um, criminal statutes or criminal ordinances uh, related to livestock on the road or, or loose livestock. On on top of what the state code already, already says. says. So what the, the new law basically says that a municipality cannot enact a mindset or a mens rea that is lower than what the state has set it at. So the state could change its mens rea and the municipalities automatically now because of this law, that, that mindset is set at the same level. So they could not make it easier to find someone uh, criminally liable for having their loose livestock out than you could at the state level. Um, well, guys, this has been a great conversation. But as we conclude, the the farmer that's listening out there, the farmer that has cattle, that has livestock, what, what are what's some information, some parting information that you want to give them? Um, so, you know, we recognize, and everybody knows, when cows get out, it's not a good situation. It's not something anybody wants to happen. Um, but, you know, farmers need to remember they could potentially be criminally criminally or civilly liable for things that happen uh, when your livestock is loose. And so that's, that's all the more reason to be extra careful um, and be really vigilant about livestock that you're keeping. Because ultimately, it is the responsibility of the livestock owner to keep them closed up. Mm-hmm. All right. Caleb, any, any parting thoughts? Uh no, just to reiterate what John Allen said, um, we're glad that we got a chance to do this. I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to come and sit down and uh, educate Alabama farmers on some of this livestock liability legislation. Well, thank you so much for being here. And let me just mention that there's an article coming out in the July issue of Neighbors Magazine that goes into a little bit more depth of this. And so uh, all of our members out there, we, we encourage you to look for that July issue. It'll have some great information in there. So, guys, thank you again for coming in today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. And now, your weekly AgCast wrap-up. In the wrap-up, we'd like to congratulate 18 men and women chosen to be a part of Class 6 of the Agriculture Leaders for Alabama Program, or Alpha Leaders Program. This program is sponsored by the Alabama Farmers Federation and is meant to sharpen the skills of already proven agriculture community leaders by focusing on personal development, political involvement, effective communication, and an understanding of the Federation. The 18 participants are Ellie Watson of Otaga County, Destry Hopper of Baldwin County, Joe Cochran of Barber County, Josh McCutcheon of Blunt County, Isaac Jones of Cherokee County, Ali Gotcher of Colbert County, Sidney McCathan of Covington County, Whitney Haynes from Coleman County, Regina Gavillo of Hale County, Nick Cornelson of Jackson County, Evan Nelson of Jefferson County, Trevor Collier of Lauderdale County, Laura Beth Gamash of Lee County, Daniel Mullinex of Lee County, Kara Cornut of Marshall County, Noel Welch of Pike County, Matt Smith of St. Clair County, and Sid Phelps from Tallapoosa County. The program begins in September and will conclude with a capstone project presentation and graduation at the 2025 Farm and Land Expo. Congratulations to these ag leaders. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama Ag Credit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. 
For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast. 